On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. If you enjoyed yesterday's episode, our news review of the year with fellow Indo-Daily presenters Fionn Sheehan and Kevin Doyle, then you'll be delighted to hear the three amigos have reunited once more to bring you a lighter look at 2021 this time. She's done it! Olympic champion Kelly Harrington-Rachel Blackmore heads towards the elbow with 200 yards between herself and an entry Remember all those Irish gold medals at the Olympics or Wally the Walrus giving us all travel envy? The town of Skibbereen was put on the map five years ago. It's going to be firmly implanted there this time because it is going to be gold for Ireland. Well, don't worry, we'll bring you up to speed on all of these and much more in our Good News Review of the Year. One of the standout moments this year has to be that of the Olympics and the Paralympics. I mean, there was a a kind of train of thought initially, I remember, with people saying, oh, you know, do we really care about the Olympics anymore? Is it really that uh, prominent anymore? And then the second we start winning, it's like everybody is on board. What are your recollections, Kevin? Yeah, there was a risk that it was going to be a year late in a few medals short and we were probably all a little bit scarred by what happened in Rio between the disappointment with the boxing, the Pat Hickey controversy, the tickets, all of that. So um, I think we probably had fallen a little bit out of love with the Olympics after the last few years and that has been turned on its head. And it's really down to one woman. I know we did very well. We had two goals and two bronze and, you know, that that doesn't sound like a huge amount, but we've only ever had now, including those 11 gold medals in 100 years, and two of them came this year. But I think really with with no disrespect to the boys from Skibbereen who like to pull like dogs, it was all about Kelly Harrington, wasn't it? Do you know, there's been times in my career when people say the whole country is behind you. This time, I really, really feel the whole country is behind me. I've made myself proud and I know I've made the people of Ireland proud regardless of the colour of the medal. Just, you know, just being here and putting our little nation on the map, it's just, you know, this is the stuff of, of dreams. It really was, yeah. And and we, you know, when you kind of look at our population and compare us to other nations, we did do pretty good this year. Fiona, what stands out for you from the Olympics? The sense with the gold medal winners that they did put where they were from at the map, but that it was a victory for their entire community. Like you're going on the biggest world stage to be the champion of the world. And yet it was all coming back to where they were from and the manner in which 
Kenny Arrington is is from the north inner city, which is often spoken about as an area that's been that's deprived. There's a lot of poverty there. There's a lot of drug abuse and so on. They've suffered a lot over the years. But she spoke about about how rich the community was, how everybody was was so proud of her. And, and likewise, down in in Skibbereen. It was silver for a Donovan in Rio. Is it going to be gold in Tokyo? The Germans try and strike back here. The Italians look safe in the bronze medal position, but it's the Irish driving forwards towards the line. The town of Skibbereen was put on the map five years ago. It's going to be firmly implanted there this time because it is going to be gold for Ireland. Again, the, the whole town became a rowing town and you had this one small town in the southwest of Ireland that became just the capital of, of rowing. So it was that notion that if you look back at the weeks ahead of the Olympics, it was all about how many cases there were, how people were going to be, have to be tested, who was withdrawing, who was in, how many officials were going to be able to attend and how, many, uh, how much of a crowd there wasn't going to be. But once the event started, it automatically becomes gripping for people because you start living the lives of the athletes competing. And wasn't it nice to see, um, and, and you know, I'd be a little bit of an event junkie, I love an old homecoming or something like that to go to. But obviously that couldn't really happen with all the COVID things. And if you, you think even the four rowers who got the bronze medal and they all had little parades through, kind of like, you know, those really country St. Patrick's Day parades through their various towns around the country and, and the kids out with the little flags. It was all very wholesome, actually, versus what you might see with the World Cup or the European Soccer Championship or some of that. So... Yeah, it was a good news story, no doubt. And it meant that we were kind of waking up to uh, hearing the national anthem on the early news in the morning because somebody, yet another Irish person, had won a medal. Look, it was a reason to get up early for those those fights that were on at five, six in the morning. It gave everybody a bit of a Did buzz. Did you get up, Kevin? I did, but I've had babies, so I'm so okay, anyway, there you no go. for me to get up. <laughs> <laughs> so the Olympics brought us our own little torch of light amid a backdrop of COVID yet again. But we did have some good news where COVID is concerned, namely the rollout of the vaccines. Nobody could have ever predicted the level of uptake that we would have seen in Ireland here from the vaccination programme. And if anybody had said to us, you know, after six, seven months of the programme that you would be at 90% of the adult population partially vaccinated, and practically 84% of the adult population fully vaccinated, and you're now in the 12 to 15-year-olds vaccination programme, uh, we would have jumped at it at any stage. Best small country in the world to give out vaccines. After, a, it has to be said, a slow start, it was Christmas week, if you remember, last year. So actually, technically it's a 2020 story, but things were a little bit slow to get going, and it wasn't really till we got in well into 2021 that people started to believe that the vaccine rollout was actually working, that people were taking them up in massive numbers. And now, as we come to the end of the year, there have been three and a half million vaccines stuck in arms, and we're heading for a million booster shots now as well. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it, Siobhan? Because on one hand, we did so well, and we had been told or at least led to believe that that was the way out of all of that. And yet here we are, another Christmas where it's kind of hanging over us like a cloud. But, you know, to get to 93%, to be lauded in Europe as a world leader on this, I think that was good. And and it was, I suppose it was good for the frontline workers as well to see that the public were doing their bit in, and not that it took that much of us to go and get a little needle in the arm. But it's not by accident. 
it's not by accident that we became such a pro-vaccine nation. Whether you can say it was down to, to being terrified of coronavirus and, and not like in the lockdown and we were the, the hardest lockdown country in Europe, or was it just a, a, a coming together? It's, it's not an accident that you end up with 19 or 20 adults. And when you whittle down even the one in 20, you take out people who would have medical reasons for for not being able to get to, to get a vaccine. You're left with a very small cohort, which are probably overrepresented in, in the, the social media and conversations. Very small number of anti, anti-vaxxers. And the success of the vaccination program has actually had an effect ultimately. If we didn't have that high level of vaccination, you would have dramatically more people being hospitalised. But it was quite an emotional experience for a lot of people. I mean, I wouldn't consider myself to get terribly emotional about stuff. And yet there I was crying my eyes out after my first vaccine because it was that sense of of freedom, of relief, of, oh my goodness, can I finally go back out into the big bad world again? I think that was kind of a, the national mood, wasn't I was, it? I was about to mock you for crying like a baby because you got a little needle, but then you kind of got into the emotion. I thought that might be mean. <laughs> it, it was for a lot of people uh, a big deal. And, you know, we're a bit younger, uh, middle-aged. Would that be fair, Fiona? Mm-hmm. Um, and Forever 20. Yeah. And I suppose in some ways, we're probably at a stage in life where you just get on with things. But I think for people who are a bit older or people who are looking at their grandparents or sick relatives, it was an emotional thing to think that they had been forced to cocoon or to curtail their life and whatever many years they might have. It was a big deal to think that this was kind of the path to freedom, if you like, for people. So, yeah, emotional, but um, I suppose it's not over yet. In the time of COVID in the last couple of years, what happens on social media, what what trends, the kind of feel-good stuff really gets us all involved in talking. And this year we had the wonderful Jerusalem dance. Like this is just another level now that um, I just feel that we have really reached out to people and I'm, I'm just delighted to be part of it. It's another um, piece of history in my life that I will always look back with, with, with great pride. Yeah, I love this. And I was a bit sceptical, I have to be honest, because I, I I don't like the, oh, the latest thing on social media. But hats off to Angarda Shiakana, who led this one front and centre. They had dancing horses, they had drones, they had uh, officers from all over the country taking part in the Jerusalem Challenge, a challenge after they were actually challenged to do it by the Swiss Guard, by, by police in Switzerland. And it really took off to the point where Everybody was doing it. The Super Value and Lidl and Aldi were challenging each other to dance offs. You had hospital staff and postmen and kids, schools. And my favourite one, which was the uh, Redemptorist nuns in Drumcondra, the oldest of them, who was 92 years old, doing Fair the Jerusalem dance. And I have no doubt that while it, there may not be a video of it somewhere along the road, Fionn Sheehan probably did it as well. But it was all really kicked off by the Garda and Chile, who at the start of the pandemic reenacted, is this the way to Amarillo, down outside Chile? That was Garda Mary Gardner. So you'd have to say she showed the way for the rest of the Garda around, around the country. And it actually turned into a nice recognition of your the frontline public sector workers. It wasn't just 
the applause at six o'clock in the evening and lighting a candle in the window. You were actually seeing people out and about and, and, and in action. And then at the end of the year, we got into a whole thing around public sector workers, frontline workers, about giving them a bank holiday off. And they still haven't got a bank holiday off and giving them more money and they still haven't got more money. So ultimately, we're applauding the Jerusalem dance, but not really doing any more for them at the end of the year. Fiona, um, I'm not sure if you got the memo, but we're, we're talking about good news this stories. Is good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably the problem with the times we live in, that it gets sucked back into negatives at, uh, a lot. But I, I think... The Jerusalem dance was, it was just good fun, good spirit. And do you know what? It took an awful lot of work because all those people that I mentioned that were doing it, there was a lot of choreography in all of it. It wasn't easy. Like, I wouldn't like to see the three of us stand up here now and do it. Nor, nor would I. And, and perhaps at this point, I, sh- I should let people listening become aware of the fact that we're, we're in our festive garb at the moment with our Santa hats and the box of chocolates in the middle of the table. So uh, we're, we're feeling quite festive, but not Jerusalem festive. I think as well, Kevin, there was one aspect of the, the Gardaí version. It was very, very slick, wasn't it? It was very polished. And as you said, an awful lot of work went into these things. Yeah, and it ended up getting, I don't know what the number is at now, but it was well over 10 million views. So great PR for the guards. I know there was some begrudgers saying where they all get the time off, where, you know, the guards are complaining they needed more overtime during COVID for policing and and road checks and all the rest of it, especially at the stages where we were trapped within our counties and and people were moaning about that. But you know what? Affect the begrudgers. I'd just like to join with you by offering my sincere and heartfelt congratulations to Helen McEntee, uh, who was delivered of a baby boy last night, uh, and also to her husband, Paul Hickey. Um, they've made history. Uh, this is the first time that a serving member of government in Ireland has given birth. Uh, and uh, when it comes to equality and diversity, it's often said that people need to see it uh, before they know they can uh, be it. Uh, and I hope that young women and girls will see today uh, that in Ireland you can hold high office, uh, take maternity leave and raise a family uh, and be supported to do so. And Justice Minister Helen McEntee gave birth to a baby boy and that was fantastic news, but very poignant for a very good reason, wasn't it, Fiona? Yeah, testament to the fact you've had so few women sitting at the cabinet table over the years. What was also significant was that once she had the baby, there was no arrangements in place to allow her to take any leave whatsoever. So you had kind of a mini constitutional crisis there in that you can't step down from cabinet and be and leave the situation vacant and be replaced. So they ultimately had to cobble together this arrangement where she would step aside from her position to become a minister without portfolio. Other ministers covered for her, most notably Heather Humphreys and, and two junior ministers. And then inside in the doll, there was a pairing arrangement for her where Holly Cairns, the Social Democrat TD, would basically not vote to cancel out the fact that Helen McEntee couldn't vote. Here, uh, with the little man uh, having a little bit of breakfast before I get into the constituency office uh, after six months maternity leave. So mixed emotions today, but really looking forward to getting back to work. Uh, so much going on, not just locally, but uh, nationally and, of course, in the Department of Justice. So I'll be in the, the constituency today. And obviously- so it has highlighted how politics is so dated and so not in, in tune with modern water work practices. And it's it's not just at cabinet level. It would be the same for, for a TD, same for a councillor. There's no way of allowing 
them to step out. So that wider issue is going to have to be look, looked at for, for future reference. I think it's worth mentioning within all of that that the sensitivity within government was quite large to this. And you mentioned Heather Humphreys had to step in, Fiona, which made her possibly the most powerful woman ever in an Irish cabinet. Had female Taunashti before, but she had become the Minister for Social Protection, which is one of, if not the biggest budget, I think, Fiona, in, in That's cabinet. That's 20 billion, yeah. Um, she was the Minister for Rural and Community Development and then the Minister for Justice on top of that. A absolutely huge portfolio. Now, I know junior ministers were, were put in there, had been given extra responsibilities to try and balance some of that out. But it was interesting. You know, in some ways, it was good to see them grapple with it because it means that next time, for whoever it might be, it'll be a little bit easier. And funny enough, while Helen McEntee was off, loads of talk started about the potential for her to be the le- next leader of Fine Gael by just being away because there was lots of controversy. She missed all the Simon Coveney and Sapone stuff. She missed a lot of the COVID stuff. And so by actually being absent for a lot of bad news, her name started to circulate as a potential first female Taoiseach. And she was back back at work pretty soon as well then. She took six months overall, so she's been back a few weeks now. She actually had Michael at a, a photo call down in Nobber the other week. So she she's bringing him to work a little bit as well. And her husband, Mike, Paul. Michael's the little baby, right? The baby, yes. Not the husband. No, the husband <laughs> is Paul, who's actually taken some parental leave from him and his employer. Uh, he works at a medical firm. They've given him a few months off to actually be a stay-at-home dad. So it's all very modern and uh, good to see. But it's been groundbreaking. And ultimately, you have to put the praise back, not on those uh, the people in government who found a solution, but for to Helen McAtee herself for saying, yeah, I am having a baby. I am taking the, the time off. I am a cabinet minister and I therefore expect to be a cabinet minister when, when I, I return. Rachel Blackmore heads towards the elbow with 200 yards between herself and an Aintree victory. Balcona flow at any second now are about five lengths down, 150 yards to go. And speaking of women booking trends, it would be remiss of us not to mention Rachel Blackmore this year. What an incredible race she had at Aintree. I'm not a big racing aficionado. I, I like a day out at the races. But again, it was one of those things that the whole country was behind her. You didn't need to know about racing. You just got to know that our girl did good. So massive series of historical feats by Rachel Blackmore, of course, from the, the home of racing in County, County Tipperary. You uh, would say that now, wouldn't so you? So first woman to ride a winner of the Grand National Entry. She has six winners at Cheltenham and that's only ever bettered by, by the great Ruby Walsh. So massive achievement there. And then historically within that, she's the first female jockey to win a championship race uh, at, at the festival. So across the, the Cheltenham Festival, which are effectively the annual Olympics uh, of, of racing, she, she beat all, all comers, only barely lost out on, on the, the Gold Cup as well, the, that massively historic race. She not only, it's, it's not just about one race with Rachel Blackmore, it was her performance right across the season that was just so amazing. And she really did help Cheltenham, which as a festival, and it's it's almost a home away from home for Irish people for that week in March each year, it got such a bad perception coming off it the previous year when they didn't cancel, when it was quite obvious that the pandemic was kicking off. And this was seen to be a, a hotbed of COVID transmission that a year later they had such a fantastic story like this to emerge from it. 
Kevin, in terms of kind of honourable mentions for this year, is there any particular thing that stands out for you? Uh, well, I could answer that with a journalistic hat or with a personal hat. I'm going to go with a personal hat probably more so. And like there is a long list of happy news stories. Like it's been a miserable year for for a lot of reasons, but there are nice standout stories like that dog. Do you remember the dog that got lost in the Wicklow Mountains for a couple of weeks and they found him and he was shivering and they brought him home and, you know. The boyfriend carried her on his back the whole way down, nearly 10 k's down, contacted us. We drove immediately out to to go and pick her up. She was well looked after there. And uh, they actually put a coat on her, so they did. Spare coat they had. They were just absolutely amazing. It was when Disney came to Wicklow for to, to the new Disenchanted movie, which no doubt we'll all be rushing out to see when that comes. Enchanted Be- or disenchanted? Disenchanted. It's the follow-up to Enchanted. <laughs> okay. Siobhan. Okay. Um, well that that tells you my Disney knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be obsessed with it when it comes out though, I'd say. My ultimate highlight, and I realise that a lot of people will actually see this as a bad news story and that I will alienate quite a large section of the population. Dublin not winning the All-Ireland stands out for me as a highlight from the past year. And I think we've just lost all our Dublin subscribers. So go on then, uh, Kevin, you, you can continue now because our only listeners are probably outside of the pale. And Mayo have done it, it's over. Dublin, they've taken the biggest scalp of all with a young team. Dublin's 45 match unbeaten run is over. Yeah, and look, Mayo didn't do it. Let's be clear about that. Mayo did topple Dublin, but they obviously couldn't, still couldn't finish the job and get their their first All-Ireland. But I think it gave everybody a little bit of hope to see the Dubs getting beaten. And they had a very unusual year in Dublin JA they had they got caught having that secret training session during covid uh, which obviously got Desi Farrell the manager suspended for 3 months and caused all sorts of ructions there was the Stephen Cluxton controversy of is he retired is he not retired is there a row going on and and then obviously he never came back to play and we'll be watching to see does he come back next season but the indications are not and so it kind of was i think that people could respect what Dublin had achieved, getting the first ever five in a row, absolutely class team. But at some point, we all needed to hope that you could beat them. And uh, finally, that happened for Mayo, albeit Tyrone overtook them. And just to mention, Offaly won the under 20, uh, under 20 All-Ireland. Just throw that in there as well. Thank you for getting that one in, uh, Kevin. I'm going to hazard a guess here, the Fionnam, that one of your highlights might be that of Garth Brooks confirming five nights in Croke Park next year. It's finally here. And I wanted this so badly. But the blessing and the curse is, the curse is it happened. The blessing is, instead of starting the tour, we're the coolest place on the planet. It all ends here. We all have plenty of friends in low places. <laughs> no, we've all suddenly realised. So it was kind of a... <laughs> A salvation from COVID, this notion that massive international music star would be coming to Ireland next year after the the famous saga of of seven years ago and that everybody knew in advance this is just going to sell out no matter how many concerts he he plays. So you started with one, then it became two, then it was another two, and then it ended up with five. So you have 400,000 tickets, but 13 million thrown down in ticket sales 
and no question about it, all of them will be packed out. So it's it's kind of coming towards the end of the year and it's a bit of positivity that you're looking ahead to next year going, okay, we have got a massive event that is basically going to signal, it's almost a, an economic sentiment that people are saying, yeah, there's money that I'm willing to spend and bank on an event happening next year. From a sporting perspective, you had a, there was a couple of underdog stories this year that deserve recognition as well. And again, the Mead ladies footballers coming basically from, almost from nowhere to halt the dubs five in a row charges is was quite a, a phenomenal performance from a, a, a team sports perspective. And also on a, on a domestic and international level, the nice guy everybody wanted to see do well, but were worried could he or, or would he or, or, or would he be able to award definitely goes to Stephen Kenny, the Irish international football manager, who's had such a, a torrid first 12 months. As the referee Keith Kennedy blows the final whistle, two wins in a row. The green shoots of recovery have a long way to go. But this is something, it is something to build on. On the back of COVID, and it was very bleak, and there was a lot of games lost, not just the big teams, but the small teams as well. And towards the end, confidence gripped that squad, chalked up a couple of wins, chalked up a couple of draws against Portugal and Serbia, and now looking ahead to him being being appointed. And that, that faith that the fans had in him being repaid and people looking forward and, and hoping, hoping there'd be success. Because people always wanted to see him do well. They just kind of wondered, was he going to be able to do it? And he's proven himself. And that kind of reminds me, Fionnan, of just when you mentioned there the Irish Games, the fact that things started opening up again this year. We were able to travel again if we were so inclined. We were able to eventually attend Ireland matches or see a rugby game. I mean, that's a huge step up on 2020 right there. Yeah, it was. And nobody travelled more perhaps in the past year than Wally the Walrus. That's right. Our friend, who we all became a little bit obsessed with, um, if you remember him arriving off the course of Cork, I think he got to Iceland at one stage. He went down south for a bit of sun at another stage, hung out in Wales for a while, which I never really got. I think he was one of the good stories of the year as well, albeit um, some of the people trying to get photographs and, and get up close to him did did upset him and a lot of the people who were trying to to mind him as best they could. And he sank a few boats. So I've gone off topic there, Siobhan, to be honest. But but just I, when you mentioned travel, it made me think of who, who has more sea miles, not so much air miles, but sea miles than any of us in the last two years is Wally the Walrus. If Wally had turned up though a few months later, though, there would have been a lot of trouble with him. He had no COVID certificate. He didn't have an antigen test within 72 hours <laughs> before arriving there. And he wasn't great at the old isolation. There was a lot of people hanging around him. There were a lot of close contacts there. So... I think Dr. Tony Holhan would not have been pleased with Wally Dwalaros as a stereotype, as, as a stereotypical role model for the rest of the nation. My thanks to Kevin and Fionnam for joining me today. This episode of the Indo Daily was presented by myself, Siobhan Maguire, produced by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips with thanks to independent.ie, Virgin Media News, HSE Ireland, RTE Sport, the Jerusalem song written by Nakembo Zakode and performed by Master KG, RTE News, Britney Spears, Eurosport and Virgin Media Sport. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts.